Hello, my lovelies. Welcome back to another episode of Did You Read the Book, a comparative podcast where movie buffs and bookworms come together to talk about stories and their adaptations that we love, hate, or love to hate. I am your host, Erin Palmer, and today I am joined by the lovely Yvonne. Hello, Yvonne. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy to have you on for the first time. It's awesome. And I absolutely love the book that you chose an adaption um Mm, so we're gonna have a good episode and a fun time yes well with that great lead-in why don't you give us the name of the source material if you please sure today we are talking all about the source material the book called Coraline and our author is Neil Gaiman he's incredible and it was published Mm -hmm. in 2002 little trivia though it took him 10 years to write it so this was like a long labor of love (laughs) and finally in 2002 it's published oh my god yeah in very neil gaiman fashion i think i feel like that was very true for a lot of his books where it takes him a long time to write but man is it good writing Mm. yes oh my god a slow burn simmer (laughs) it came to perfection (laughs) when it was finished yeah Yes, absolutely. And on the flip side, we have the adaptation, which is also called Coraline, which was directed by Henry Selick in 2009. And it's featuring some lovely actors like Dakota Fanning, Terry Hatcher, Jennifer Saunders, Ian McShane, Keith David, and many, many other really amazing actors. And this is actually a really fun adaptation because it is not live action. It is actually stop motion. So it is not animated. It is not acted it is all made with little miniatures and man is it epic it's so good (laughs) (laughs) the effort that goes into stop motion oh my god it is amazing if you think there's 24 frames per second and then you know multiply that by the whole movie there's like over 5,000 images that Mm -hmm. were created one by one for this movie And just the way they painstakingly went through, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but it's incredible that people come together (laughs) and do this. I know. I know. It's like a behemoth of a project. And they did such a good job and it turned out so beautifully. And it is, I think, one of the largest and most intricate uh, stop motion films to date, I think, since maybe, I think maybe Corpse Bride might have been the one above it. Or no, I think it was Kubo, actually. Kubo and the Two Strings. It was like a first big film, Uh, and it actually took Mm -hmm. Henry Selleck and uh, Neil Gaiman a while to find the right studio, a studio, to even make the movie. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that just took its sweet time, but this is a newer animation studio, so Coraline was like their breakout movie. Oh, man. What a slam dunk that is to have your first film be that. It's Right. And it started Dang. such a legacy, too, because then we have, like, Kubo, which is also Laika, and, like, Paranorman, mm-hmm. and what else? Like, Box Trolls. Mm-hmm. A bunch of good ones. Yep. And really just starting yep. the yep. expectation of this just intricate, like, detailed movie. Beautiful work. Yeah. And all starts with Coraline. <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh well we've already had such an amazing little like we'll get into the film folks don't you worry there's lots to talk about there um before we get started spoiler alert we're talking about this in depth as you can tell we're both really nerdy about this so there's a lot of stuff that we're gonna talk about so if you don't want things spoiled for you hit that pause button 
go do your thing, read things, watch things, experience, and then come back to us and we can dive together. And before we get started, Miss Yvonne, the age-old question, are you pro-source or adaptation? For this book and film, I am so both. Like, they are different. You know, they're, they're yeah. like siblings, right? And they're both amazing. We love them so much, but they're so different and wonderful in their own ways <laughs> yeah. so like they belong together but they are still not doing the same thing but we'll get into that I just yeah I, I don't always say this either and sometimes I highly prefer the book I don't know so much I've preferred the movie so much but this is a beautiful mm-hmm. compliment to each other and I'll actually say I oh, yeah. first watched the movie I came to reading Coraline a lot later mm-hmm. than my friends did so when the movie came out. I was like, oh, did you hear about that new movie coming out, Coraline? They, we went together and they told me, oh my gosh, the book scared me so much when I was little and reading it. I had <laughs> nightmares. I was afraid to go down the hallway, go to the bathroom because I was just so spooked out. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I didn't have that reference, right? So I went in, it was all the movie and it was such a beautiful work of art. And I ended up reading the book after the fact. And that was kind of a kind of yeah. really helped my vision of the movie because it was the first thing I saw. Mm-hmm. And admittedly, the first time I read the book, like I was hearing it in Dakota Fanning's voice <laughs> and the voice of the cat. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wait, wait, no. One of the differences being that they're in Britain in the book. So the first time mm-hmm. I read it, I heard like Dakota Fanning's voice, but then I read it again several times and then heard Neil Gaiman's narrated version on Audible and that totally oh, so like good. Yeah. repainted the story for me. Like he has such a slow and mm-hmm. deliberate and like lovely velvety voice. So, and it also mm-hmm. has random music tracks in it. <laughs> I'll talk about that later yeah. maybe, but like it's so immersive and it was so new. And I think this book is one that you can pick up at any point and get something new from. Like there's so mm-hmm. many little nuggets of pure wisdom and it's such a pure, like short 162 mm-hmm. pages it packs a punch for sure <laughs> yeah yeah and it yeah. always feels different when you come back to it and it's easy to come back to it I was reading some reviews of the Coraline book and I mm-hmm. saw that many people were coming to Coraline after a bit of a reading slump but they're like but this kind of kicked me into it again it's a good like oh, nice. by the fire kind of bad weather like kind of a spooky season favorite mm-hmm. that people should come back to. oh my god when they need to. <laughs> I know I have. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I am right there with you. And I actually am the same. I, I saw the film first many times and I was like, God, this is so good. And then I don't know how I missed it because it's listed in the credits of the film that it's based on Neil Gaiman's book. And it took me a while to realize that. And so I've more recently actually gone back and read the book. And I actually did also listen to Neil Gaiman's audiobook. Yeah. And man, is it just such a good good experience i cannot express how much i love neil gaiman's voice it That's is perfect amazing. he could read me my, my grocery list and it would sound yep like a story i know he is beyond precious and so british and i love him to bits yeah. um yeah it's it's a great read both you know audio if you're listening to him and or reading it yourself but it's it is a beautiful story and it is a really quick read it's awesome 
Oh my gosh. All right. Well, let's jump into it. You've already had a really nice little segue into the book. So if you would give us a synopsis for the book, please. Okay. Coraline, which actually was a typo initially, Neil Gaiman meant to write Caroline and he accidentally keyed in Coraline. And he was like, I want to know what happened to this girl named Coraline. (laughs) But um, Mm -hmm. Coraline is a young girl who finds herself bored in her new home. It's the holiday summer season. Her parents are busy working from home on their computers. So she is left with way too much time on her hands. Too much time to explore. The house is structured into four separate apartments, one of which is left empty. There was a door that led into the empty apartment, but it is walled off and the door is locked. But one night when she opens the door, she realizes the wall is no longer there. And instead, she is led through a dark corridor to another apartment, arranged almost exactly the same as hers. There, she encounters the other mother and father. They are very friendly. They offer her the best food and attention, all that was missing from her real life. There is one tiny creepy detail, though. They have buttons Mm -hmm. sewed over their eyes. She is told she can stay with them forever and have everything she wants, but she also has to have those buttons sewn in over her eyes. So scared, she goes back home, but she realizes that things are not as they were before, and she will have to gain the courage and use her wits to save herself and her family and three ghost children. nice (laughs) yep so definitely uh in line with the spooky season i love it it's my favorite time of year for those who know me (laughs) same uh oh so good yep god the best oh i love 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 fall it is the best time of year and what better way to spend it than reading cute little spooky stories it's great yeah somehow it so fits like spooky season (laughs) and halloween though it's never addressed it's just like inherently innately spooky just because of what's happening oh yeah totally i yeah i i don't know how it got to this point but it definitely has fallen under like the typical halloween movie on my like spooky playlist every year it it easily comes up every year and it just, it's not really set in Halloween time at all, but it fits. Yeah, definitely. You're getting those goosebumps. Like, it just, <laughs> it found its spot in the year <laughs> and your heart and your nightmares. I, all the things. <laughs> <laughs> Completely, yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. I mean, you've already kind of, we've, we've already briefly gushed over yeah. how great the book is so tell me what are your thoughts like what kind of drew you to the story do you have any favorite highlights is there anything you didn't like like tell me mm-hmm. your thoughts yeah um what drew me to the story it was the movie which I feel like I was just spellbound by it and I wanted more and I mm-hmm. was also just curious by my friends who said they were you know terrified in the middle of the night or couldn't get to sleep and uh, that it just really spooked them out. And they didn't even, they wanted to see the movie, but they were really trepidatious. I'm like, wow, what book would do that to my friends? <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah, then I, I read it and I was so surprised because it was very different from the movie. And I realized that the movie took very different creative liberties. I was like middle school, early high school when the movie came mm-hmm. out. So I just, you know, the young adult, category really fit for me I felt like I could relate a lot to 
to Coraline, her adventurous sort of like rebellious spirit. But she's like, oh, she's British. Mm -hmm. She's not Dakota Fanning. So (laughs) it caught me by surprise right away. And once I calmed down from that, you know, I realized that this book is very subtle. And the Mm -hmm. way it does fear is like things being slightly off. So like she walks into the other mother's apartment or the, the other world and you know, the painting in her home was like the sad boy or something. And and in the other mm-hmm. apartment, there's something wrong about his face. Like it's angry. It mm-hmm. looks like it's going to do something very nasty. Like just mm-hmm. small details like that. I was just like, so that at the time I just was just, it, it's, it's those little descriptions. Like Neil Gaiman's mm-hmm. so purposeful with what he does share. Cause as we've mentioned, oh, the yeah. book is only 162 pages like he chose those details so carefully and things like mm-hmm. the other mother, her hair looks as if it were underwater <laughs> or yeah. like snakes or something or her fingers mm-hmm. never quite stopped moving. And mm-hmm. like in the movie or so you don't even know what to look at because it's stop motion. It was also released in mm-hmm. 3d. So there's like full immersion. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on, but what I loved about switching to the book is everything's just distilled and like mm-hmm. slow and, <laughs> and yeah. yeah you really feel in there with Coraline too and these little details like have you seen the movie Amelie yes yeah oh. so this French woman she frequents this like fruit stand and she gets her fruits and vegetables there and she doesn't like the fruit stand seller like this person really bugs her so she at some point when he's away, she sneaks into his apartment and makes little adjustments, like changes the doorknob <laughs> yeah. and like changes the sides of this, this, the sides of the slippers and like changes mm-hmm. the lights in the lamp. And when he returns home, he's like terrified. He's screaming like these are sparks because everything's just kind of slightly off. And that's yeah. how I felt about Coraline. <laughs> that is such a great scene. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love that so much because I'm like, you can really mess with people by doing something very, very simple. So you look at this book mm-hmm. and it's Coraline and she she wants something more interesting and that's what this other apartment, this other world gives her. But it's so mm-hmm. wrong and being so right. It's like yeah. scary good. <laughs> and it, it, that's a feat to put that in 160 pages. That's very show don't yeah, tell. Seriously. I mean, or just like the way it's written. It's, an, it's incredible. It's probably some of Neil's best work. I think. Yeah, I I love the way that he creates characters and you're absolutely right. It is so deliberate. He has such a a, a really unique way of depicting his characters, and I think something that I really like about the book in especially this particular book of his is that, you know, it takes place in this cute little like English town somewhere. It's everything is very kind of prim and proper in the book. Isn't it like in her house, there's like a room that she's not allowed to go into and not sit on the furniture because that's the nice room (laughs) and stuff like, you know, like there's stuff like that where it's like very prim and proper. And then she goes to the other world and where the other mother is. And it's like, she kind of gets to be a kid. And so there's like that kind of fun, playful aspect of it. But on top of that, she's actually like, she's portrayed as a very smart and intuitive child. Like she is kind of advanced for like, they don't really give an age. I don't, do do they give an age actually? I don't remember Mm. if they do say her age. I don't think so, but she's Mm. around 11 or 12 at least. That's what's portrayed in the movie. But I think it's still Mm -hmm. like adolescent, like young, but not quite a kid. 
but it's old yeah. enough where they're like kind of outsmarting the adults or like the things that mm-hmm. they like I feel like the adults they they know things but they don't see anything that's right in front of them and then yeah. the kids it's the reverse like they maybe don't know everything but they can see they can make the jump and make the leap it's like when that wisdom comes out in childhood and that's mm-hmm. how old she is yeah 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 and also I think it's still like that cusp of having really vivid imagination that is still like it seems like it would kind of take over your life in a sense of like oh yeah you know she's got a vivid imagination she believed there was a hole in the wall that turned into a door that turned into another world yeah sure it's just a dream so she was still in that kind of age gap of nobody's taking her seriously it's just a dream but at the same time she does she is kind of portrayed as kind of a precocious um pretty attentive child which I again love Neil Gaiman's writing of his kind of interpretation of children is not that they're childish but they're quite intelligent and observant and actually are pretty crafty and how they kind of get out of situations and you know in this book her kind of big pinnacle of getting out of a sticky situation is that she starts to realize that the other world is not what she thought it was and then the other mother is not this perfect mother who will give her whatever she wants and things Mm kind of go sideways and again very Neil Gaiman fashion for things to go sideways (laughs) yeah of course so it's it's just beautiful writing it's it's just so it's so good and and you're right it is so succinct for being a pretty short story, and it is kind of intended to be a children's story. Um, it's I, I wouldn't say he's he's written a lot more complex pieces. And not to say that this isn't a good complex story, but mm-hmm. you know, this kind of makes me think of Stardust too, where again, it's it's like a it almost makes me think of like a grim fairy tale, yeah. but with a twist. Yeah, it's it's so brilliant and in simplicity. I love it. Um, there's one quote mm-hmm. I came across, or. Um, a description I, I read that was so true. Um, it said, Gaiman does a good job of characterization. We see the characters through the eyes of a little girl who is remarkably intelligent and yet doesn't understand everything the adults do or say. Many of the adults are eccentric. Mm-hmm. They deal with others when they have to, but are firmly in their own little worlds. And they also see Coraline as, a, as an oddity too. <laughs> and Miss Fink mm-hmm. usually says, Oh, what an extraordinary child, <laughs> like in the book. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like a really smart little quirky girl who no one really knows what to do with. <laughs> so she's like inventing her own mm-hmm. entertainment. And like her day so bleeds into like her dreams, or is it really the other world? It kind of leaves you guessing. It's so mysterious. Right. It really feels like you're walking into a little nightmare when you read the book. It's like, oh my god, yeah. That it it feels so real because everything's like so much like real life, but there's just like something completely wrong with it, just like it would be in mm-hmm. a dream. Yeah, so exactly. It is very kind of dream and whimsy vibes for sure. But I, yeah, you, you know, you kind of touched on it. I wanted to talk about um, her kind of <laughs> obscure neighbors. <laughs> yes, they're so odd. Um, so yeah. they're the other other people yeah the other people who live in the flats uh, adjacent to them so there is um gosh the the russian's name mr b yeah bobinski mr bobinski <laughs> and then there yeah. are the two older ladies who are sisters and were kind of like stage performers back in their heyday 
and I'm totally spacing on their names now. <laughs> yeah, they're Miss Stink and Miss Forcible. <laughs> yeah, and the yes, Miss Stink and Forcible. They're yep. delicious too. They, you know, there's one of the lines in the book. He's like, these two were arguing as if it's like an argument. No, both know they'll never win, but they have as a comfort. <laughs> like, I just I love some of these descriptions. They're so so rich and also. Do you remember the illustrations by Dave McKean? Yeah. They're yeah, so creepy and also so ambiguous. They're so creepy. They're very like sketched <laughs> and there's a lot missing. But that's some of the brilliance of this book is it's so much is left unsaid and so much you don't know. And that mm-hmm. makes it scarier. So sometimes I really wish that I had read the book first and experienced the same level mm-hmm. of fear because your brain is creating it. Um, I'm curious right. if I went back in time, if I would find it way more terrifying or if <laughs> I would have been afraid <laughs> to go to the movie. Um, but they, they they leave a lot to your imagination. Yeah. Yeah. The drawings made me think a little bit of like Roald Dahl's books, like the yeah. witches and like all those kinds where they had like these really creepy, very specific types of drawings that were featured in, in the written formats. And it very similar vibe where it like it does kind of give you just enough to hint at what it might look like and then you fill in the, the blanks as you go uh, totally it's, it's really yeah. really good apparently <laughs> it's one of um, neil gaiman's inspirations as an artist i think called Ligori, and he dave mckean did the illustration but apparently this gory artist it was like getting a crossword but you have to figure it out yourself and his storytelling was quote <laughs> deeply and gloriously ambiguous you would give with one hand and take with oh the other. <laughs> you just had to enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. And I felt the illustrations in the book totally do that. They're so disturbing in such a cool oh, way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. like the other mother with like a beetle like hanging out of her mouth and like the clawed mm-hmm. hand. It's just like the really sharp, scary nails. Like, eh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stop motion is incredible. It's but awesome. these like, yeah, these just flat 2D drawings, too, can really scare the living shit out of you. <laughs> yep, I agree. It's great imagery. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, again, you go back to, like, super clever character development. Like, every every book that Neil Gaiman touches has such beautiful imagery with his characters. And, again, you've got these, like, really weird, eccentric neighbors of, like, Mr. Bobinski, who's got his performing mice troop i guess you could call it um (laughs) and then the you know the two sisters are kind of old and batty and it it, it's really just cute characters that you know aren't technically pivotal for the story but it adds so much texture and it adds such richness to the world that he builds with his stories yeah and And let's talk about the can we talk about (laughs) yeah total chef's kiss can we talk about the cat Yes, please. Let's talk about the cat. This cat. This is like the best literary, like literary, just depiction of a cat I've ever seen. Like, yeah, <laughs> I love mm-hmm. when they discuss that he doesn't have a name, and he says, "Yep, I'm not another anything. I'm me." <laughs> it's just yes, it's so good. A cat would say that. <laughs> and there's one line in the book that didn't make it into the movie that I really loved. Um, Coraline was like. We could be friends, you know? And the cat says, 
We could be rare specimens of an exotic breed of African dancing elephants, but we're not. At least, it added Cataly, after darting a brief look at Coraline, I'm not. <laughs> it is. <laughs> like, that oh, is just it's delicious. So Apparently, when he was mm-hmm. writing the book, he realized there needs to be someone, like, keeping Coraline company. And he, at that point, was missing having a cat of his own. Like, he normally had cats. Oh. So he sort of added the cat because yeah. he missed cats. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh. So we have such this beautiful character because he missed cats. He obviously understands them very well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And he has, again, he has really fun and creative ways to insert animals, whether they're real or fictional animals, into his storylines as well. Um, mm-hmm. There's some really great stuff that he does with them. He really gives them their own personality. And yeah. the cat is such a genius guide throughout the story. Um, the cat, obviously, like in the real world, the cat doesn't talk. The cat's a cat, but it's um, a very sassy cat fashion. Yeah. But then when it goes into the other world, it actually can talk. And so that's mm-hmm. that. That's kind of where it's it's it gets to be more creative and playful. Where you're, you know, in the other world, ever everything is a little bit different, but it's still the same. So the cat is the same, and it's not actually a replica, like everything else is on the other world. It is the same cat that can travel back and forth, but it can just talk in that world. So it is a fun little character drive um, to have that flip back and forth, and still have the attitude with words and without. It's it's yeah. genius. It's so the good. rules don't apply to the cat, and it's just you know he puts these things out there. The cat is a cat. The cat the cat can travel. <laughs> he he can talk in this world, but not the other. And he's like, well, you seem to be the expert in these things. <laughs> it's just it's, <laughs> that's his line to Coraline, and I just it's never explained. Nothing is ever explained mm-hmm. at all. It just is what it yeah. is, and you can yeah. come up with why. But yep, like. That's so cool. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's not condescending either to like to children the way it's written. It's like they can figure out it out if they want to, but it is what it is. <laughs> it's so matter of fact and that's fun. <laughs> it's just it's like a cool thing in fiction not to have mm-hmm. something just explained to death. Yeah, and it's not like super handholdy, you know, like you can kind of extrapolate what you want given what's kind of presented to you and you know he does such a good job with presentation like everything is you know you've already kind of read some of the example lines of he just has such beautifully written descriptors and he he just puts so much thought into it and he makes beautiful like worlds in his his pieces and it's it's I could just gush about him nonstop. There's mm-hmm. he literally can do, do no wrong in my book. He's yeah. just such a genius of a writer. You were so correct about this cat being like a guide too. And um, when Coraline meets the cat, the yeah. cat like creeps up on her. He she describes the voice like the voice in the back of her head, the male. So like mm-hmm. kind of it's like the narrator a bit. Kind of, yeah. And it comes in, you know, at the right time and weaves the story it like moves it along when Coraline's confused or doesn't know mm-hmm. what she's going through and he gives her a non-answer and then <laughs> you keep going it's so yeah cool. yeah I think his his character actually kind of reminds me of Puck in like Midsummer Night's Dream where Puck is technically the narrator but Puck is also a character within the story and actually has a part to play mm, and it, nice. he bounces back and forth between active actively participating 
and also being kind of the driving force of the story. So like in the other world, the cat actually is helping Coraline realize that that world is not what she thinks it is and that there's actually like bad things about the world and the other mother is actually out to steal her soul via taking her eyes essentially and just draining her of her life until she dies. (laughs) So it's... It is a really interesting drive because it is kind of Shakespearean in a way, but from a, like a, a child's lens. And I, it's ugh, Neil Gaiman. I mean, why get Disney movies like so they all have an animal sidekick? Like they they're there to like bring out yeah the central characters' inner wisdom. They like ask some good questions, or they say just the choice thing, or express just the choice thing, mm-hmm. and. Like, then we have revelations through the brilliant minds of children (laughs) and animals. (laughs) Yep. And I feel like animals are something that, especially, I I don't know, maybe this is just my interpretation, but I feel like animals are something that children are more likely to listen to as a companion than, Mm. say, an adult. You know, like, it feels like it's a little bit more of a connection because animals are you know, more childlike in personality. They're kind of like toddlers that never grow up. (laughs) So, you know, there is kind of a playfulness to that. And animals and kids, you know, there's a commonality. A lot of people say, oh, they're they're, they're just pure souls. There's, you know, there's no bad bones in their body. They're just Mm. simple one track thing, you know. Yeah. So I I don't know if that's like a correlation. That's so interesting. Like if you saw that, but that was just something that I saw. Like animals have kind of a simplicity and also kind of a, a... God, I'm like blanking on the words of what I'm trying to say. Just kind of, it's just pure. Yeah, pure, like. just or like timeless. I'm very biased about animals. <laughs> timeless wisdom. Yeah. Know? And I think also like kids so often are the ones being taken care of and they don't get to do what they want. They don't get mm-hmm. to go outside when it's raining and explore like Coraline wants to. <laughs> they, but yeah. the, the animals, they kind of trust the kids and they treat them like adults. And in a lot of cases, like, the kids can't really help everyone or save the world, but they can help this animal or something like, you know, it's one case where the kid's actually taking mm-hmm. care of something. Because even, you know, in the end of the book, mm-hmm. you know, the cat comes involved with the escape and everything. And um, but, you know, mm-hmm. as we said, yeah. the cat can walk between doors of dimensions that we can't see. But the other mother is progressively shutting the doors. So he's kind of trapped and he can't go back to his like... <laughs> his world hopping and he's scared for his life it's you know fur is all fuzzed out and he's yeah (laughs) freaked out so he's relying on Coraline and like she's like come on like we're going to get through this together and then she's like speaking to him in her mind and he's like understanding he's kind of settling in and Mm -hmm. you know they help each other escape basically but like that trust yeah because kids often like listen to Mm -hmm. me listen to me or just yeah um, they don't get that attention, but animals will give it to you. Yeah, I think that definitely is something, again, that, you know, Neil Gaiman's style is he has such interesting ways to de- to de- depict children. Like, it's not a childish perspective. He really kind of ages his children in a way that makes them seem more sophisticated than the age that they're kind of being portrayed as, which I kind of appreciate because there's a lot of, like, kind of babying down kids Mm-hmm. in stories like this and so i actually appreciate how he writes children in his stories and they always tend to be kind of you're part of a bigger purpose and this is just kind of a test for you to uh, achieve what you can 
to the best of your abilities and then they actually get there and it's kind of an adventure of how they become a bigger better person and it doesn't have to be like an epic thing like stardust is kind of like an epic adventure but this is still like a really big deal for her to kind of overcome this thing and then nobody else seems to realize that it happened it's just her and the cat so it's it's a fun little mini adventure if you will yeah completely oh so so good good. it's such a delicious cat character and i I swear that cat voice is the narrator (laughs) in my head as well ever since the movie (laughs) yeah Yeah. yep that's keith david man his voice is perfect for that cat Um, yeah is the cat uh is the cat listed as a black cat in the book or is that the just the film yeah it's also in the book and just like she's exploring a lot at the beginning of the book and she sees a black cat who will kind of scamper off and run away when she tries to approach it. So she doesn't have much of a connection mm-hmm. with a cat until she's in the other world and the cat is yeah. talking to her. <laughs> yeah. Giving her the time of day. But yeah, the the black cat. But the black cat's kind of her hero here. It's not a suspicious black cat. Yeah. Like he's telling her hints that she needs to hear like, you know, it's one of her tools to outsmart and defeat the other mother. We get to mm-hmm. see a better yeah. storyline for the black cat than the source of suspicion. I know. I have such I have such a soft spot for black kitties. So it's it is nice to see like it it's depicted as a helper and not as a, you know, like a bad omen or something. <laughs> You know what? That's it's a interesting. Very, very good kitty. Just suppose with the other mother who's giving off all the friendly, warm, welcoming energy, and like that's actually yeah. she's actually evil. And then something typically seen as evil mm-hmm. or bad, like a black cat, is actually helping her out. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the other mother. What were your uh, oh. <laughs> What were your thoughts on her as a character? So she's initially way creepier in the book. I think they are showing that mm-hmm. she's slightly off from her real mother. But she, oh my gosh, is so, so mysterious. And like, but even before we meet her, she's in the pathway, the hallway. And like, mm-hmm. they have description that Coraline feels like something older than the other mother, right? Or something older than time mm-hmm. is this hallway, this pathway. And whatever world that came from, mm-hmm. you know, is the one the other mother came from. And it's like, what is that? What the heck is that? <laughs> it's just, it sets up a very scary, like, the, the hallway smelled like something old. I'm like, we can't smell something old, but, like, it definitely helps us visualize yeah. <laughs> in a different way. So that we're already, and we saw the picture of the, like, ill-intentioned looking boy in the drawing room when she comes in so things are already off and then Mm -hmm. we see the other mother and she like we're already a little bit on edge and then this descriptions are it looks so much like your mother but the fingers never stop moving not quite and then it takes a while Mm -hmm. before Neil Gaiman has her actually turn around and Coraline notices that Mm -hmm. there are button eyes (laughs) it's it's more it's additional things she does because, you know, she starts already kind of scary. And then progressively, every time she's sharing the room with Coraline, something else is revealed. Uh, the the image, the mirage is tipping away bit by bit. And it just mm-hmm. gets very intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really good villain. And yeah, you think of all the kids that yeah. scream, I wish you weren't my mother. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. the alternative. It's like could be look so great to start, but actually be a nightmare. Yeah. And what are your uh, what are your thoughts on the whole buttons for eyes thing? Like, where do you think that that came from? Oh my gosh, I think. Like I, I was watching like YouTube videos and um, interviews with Neil Gaiman, and he was saying how he gets asked all the time how he came up with the buttons, and he he says, "I mm-hmm. wish for the like life of myself that I could remember why and how I picked buttons," because like <laughs> it, it was just sort of like it's I, fascinating. It was like, so <laughs> such a strange inspiration he just plucked from, you know, the ether and just threw a button mm-hmm. eyes on her. How scary! And like, we can't explain it, but like to me, deeper me, it's it's like, this is a created manufactured thing. And like the eyes also, so many times people are like, the eyes are windows into the soul and like you're taking the soul. So I think that was a good, like, I don't know, it's it's disturbing Uh, buttons for eyes. And and most people are wary of needles. And when you think of a button, you think of the needle and the thread, Mm -hmm. like going through piercing your Mm -hmm. eyes. So it's pretty... Uh, like visceral kind of feeling about yeah. that. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I totally. was um, one of the years after the movie came out. I was actually Coraline for Halloween. I bought a blue wig nice. and a yellow, <laughs> yellow rain jacket. And um, my mom, she gave me her readers, and we glued uh, buttons on to the frames. <gasps> so I would put them on to be like, "Oh, that's awesome!" I'm the other Coraline now. <laughs> It was a great costume. Oh, a great that's year. genius. Yeah, but it's just, it's a very oh my God. clever, seemingly like harmless little button, but it, it makes me uncomfortable. What? How did you feel? <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think that when you think of like, oh, buttons for eyes, that's kind of cute and playful, like a child toy kind of thing. Yeah. But then you think about, oh God, they're actually like sewn on there. And then mm. you think about the kind of process of how you would actually do that if it was a real person having buttons sewn onto their face. It's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and really creepy and makes me think of like voodoo dolls. Definitely. <laughs> Which is really creepy too. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is It is an interesting visual. And I, I agree. I think I, I'm with you on the on the eyes are the window to your soul kind of thing, especially when it seems like, you know, when um, Coraline meets the the three other children who have already been stolen by the other mother and they're just kind of ghosts at that point where their their souls were stolen because they said yes to getting buttons for eyes. So I think that is kind of the takeaway that I guess it alludes pretty strongly to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, that's too funny that Neil Gaiman is like, that's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Just whatever like strange night of- I love um, that. You know, like- crushing your writer's block and a wacko idea that totally makes you couldn't (laughs) that could only come from like random inspiration like a spark of inspiration really oh yeah struck you I would think that idea would strike him and then it would be brilliant but he couldn't have like found it any logical way I think but yeah yeah and it's like well it's the family looks the same but there's something off what's off about them how about buttons for eyes and just like throw that in there and it's it's amazing because what a visual like it's oh yeah i'm trying hard not to talk about the movie chef's kiss neil gaiman we will in a bit but like they they use up the buttons they're so useful because you know here's one big thing about the dolls there there is no doll in the book so Mm -hmm. That was like such a, the buttons maybe made the 
film makers think of dolls and then I don't know how that happened but they basically opened the movie with the other mother creating a doll so the buttons are front and center like from the moment you start the movie yeah so I don't know if like how the dolls are introduced but uh just yeah 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 but it allowed dolls to come in and be a device in the Mm -hmm. movie that we didn't have in the book yeah, it is interesting that there wasn't really, you know, that you're right in the film, the, the dolls are really a very big focal point and there's no mention of it in the book at all, which um, is interesting too, because I think you and I both saw the movie first. So mm-hmm. having that visual, I think, really helped kind of drive that imagery home, even though it was never mentioned in the book. So I'm curious, like, I'll have to go and find somebody who read the book first and be like, tell me your thoughts. What did you think about there not being dolls in there? And did that make a difference? <laughs> I'm yeah. not actually sure. <laughs> well, then I, in the movie too, she's like, the the doll is her spy. That's how she watches you. So like the buttons, like really yeah. being like, you're being watched. Like in the book, you don't really know mm-hmm. as much that she's being watched, except like, you know, little things are coming through that the other mother thinks she might like in her new home. Um, so right. it's again, it's more, it's more subtle. They they have to add these things mm-hmm. to the movie to to bring it along, and you you have an audience for like an an hour and a half, and that's it. That's not the same people that are reading the book necessarily. So you have to show how so much more in a movie. Mm-hmm. So therefore, yeah. a doll is necessary because she's watching, but. In a book, in a short, creepy novel like Coraline, he gets away with just, like, buttons for eyes, <laughs> mic drop. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? But that might make it even creepier. What about it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I just felt like it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Because I could. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I could, I could talk forever about these buttons. I know. Well, do you have any like final thoughts or do you want to bump into the movie? I feel like we're kind of like we're crossing that line. Yeah, we're we're closer because like, it's hard to divide the movie from the book a little bit because I did see the movie first. It is. But um, I would say one interesting part about the book and it took him a long time to write 10 years. Um, but he initially started writing it. Um, this fun little backstory. His daughter would come home from school and she was about four years old at this time. And her dad, Neil Gaiman, would be working on his computer and writing. And his daughter, her name was Holly, would like dictate stories to him Aww. about, you know, a wicked witch who was trying to steal her. And there's like a mad escape. So Neil Gaiman went to the bookstores and he's looking to find books like this. Okay, I'll get you books like this. She likes it. But they didn't really exist. <laughs> like horror stories for four-year-olds nice. didn't really <laughs> you know they didn't they didn't have a captive audience yet they didn't have a market yet let's say um so he made <laughs> it but it took him so long so in the beginning of the book he says like I started writing this book for Holly but he didn't publish it until his younger daughter Maddie was more at the age that he would read it to her so <laughs> like he was now it took that long <laughs> yeah it was taking a long time life got in the way He's busy writing other novels, doing other work, and then he's looking at his younger daughter who might get too old to enjoy Coraline like he intended for his older daughter, Holly. So, yeah, I I started it for Holly. I finished it for Maddie. And I love just that kind of co-creation with him and his daughter. And, you know, they say write what you know, right? So, like, 
I think that's such a, a cool little author anecdote about how it was made. Oh, that's really cute. I didn't know that. <laughs> Neil Gaiman, I love you so much more now. <laughs> yeah, just like go down the rabbit hole of Neil Gaiman interviews on YouTube. They're really precious. <laughs> God, yeah. so good. Yes. Yep. I just love him. He's a, a just a treasure of a human being and we need to save him at all costs. Oh yeah, <laughs> he was saying a lot. Like he felt guilty because he was working a lot. And he was distracted and he had to make his living through writing. So his daughter, daughters would come home a bit and he's busy on the computer and he felt really guilty all the time. So part of writing this book mm-hmm. too, it's like he's, you have these busy parents of Coraline and they can't pay her much attention, but they're, yeah. you know, they're dealing with their own stuff. So yeah, he kind of, he kind of wrote, wrote out his feelings. <laughs> <laughs> took it, took his broken heart, it. turning it into art, as Carrie Fisher says. <laughs> yes. Yes. Love it. Always oh, a Carrie Fisher quote. I'm oh, happy. that's great. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Bring her into any conversation. <laughs> Happily. Gladly. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, let's bump over to the to the film because you're you're absolutely right. Um, it is very hard not to talk about both of them, especially since both of us seem to have had much more strong memories correlated with the film. <laughs> yeah. We were right out of the gate with that at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I will go ahead and read a synopsis for the film really fast here. While exploring her new home, a girl named Coraline, played by Dakota Fanning, discovers a secret door behind which lies an alternate world that closely mirrors her own, but in many ways is better. She rejoices in her discovery until other mother, played by Terry Hatcher, and the rest of her parallel family try to keep her there forever. Coraline must use all of her resources and bravery to make it back to her own family and life. Okay, so very, very similar, similar synopsis. Synopsis? Synopsi? Uh-oh. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. Synopsis? <laughs> we both are smart. <laughs> Look it up, people. We are not specialists. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, my yes. God. Megan, Ooh. if you're listening, you're rolling your eyes at me right now for not knowing if it's synopsis or synopsis. Apologies. Synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the film. So we already gushed over the book. Let's gush over the movie. What are your thoughts? Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah. So this synopsis reminds me a little bit of the, the, the movie posters. And she's like crouched by this little door in the movie. It's a little door. And it says, mm-hmm. be careful what you wish for. It's like a full size door in the book. Yeah, it's almost like a little uh, like God. What it's, dollhouse, it's like, uh, right? It is like a dollhouse. Yeah, it does feel like a dollhouse door. It's like a, it's it's shorter than Coraline is in the film, mm-hmm. and it looks like the wallpaper was put over it, and so then they find this mystery key and then have to open the door, and it it's yeah, very very whimsy in the movie. Yeah, sorry, I, I interrupted you. Can, oh, carry no on. Worries, but that's totally <laughs> yeah. These. <laughs> These lead into each other. But yeah, the, I just remember that movie poster. Be careful what you wish for. And I always loved like the fairly odd parents. I thought that was like a fun show. Oh, it was on Nickelodeon. God, yeah. at, like Timmy or Tommy, whatever his name is. Yep. As these godparents. Timmy. They're like little fairies. <laughs> and they're, they're like yeah. godparents. And like each episode, they grant him a wish he really wanted. And then he realized he didn't want it. Like things would 
go badly, things would blow up, things would Mm -hmm. not work out according to plan. And then he'd end up like reversing his wish. And I was, yeah, so I was already, I'm on board. Cool. I'm going to watch this movie. And I, they were really loud in the promotion for the movie about, you know, the director of Nightmare Before Christmas. And I love that movie. My whole family does. We watch it every year for Halloween. So yes, I was super sold. And I didn't know at that point, like Henry Selleck is the, um, like was the actual director of Nightmare Before Christmas, and he was taken on. Not Tim Burton. Movie. Yeah, Tim Burton. Like, yep. He made the original poem and like illustration, but yeah, he actually wasn't the director, and he would just come in for like check-ins. But he really handed it off to Henry Selleck, yep. who had this love and passion for stop motion. And apparently, Tim Burton mm-hmm. just didn't want to go through the grueling process of stop motion. So he handed it off to Henry Selleck, who he trusted so much. Yeah, it's intense. He was also working on, um, Tim Burton was also working on another film at the same time. I think, it, I don't remember if it was Edward Scissorhands or it was something else where he was, was like really big yeah. at the time. Was it yeah. Batman? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was working on Batman and then also like would just do like random check-ins and was barely ever on set for this film, which is crazy that everybody associates Tim Burton with Nightmare Before Christmas. And then it's like, eh, it wasn't him. <laughs> it was yeah. actually somebody else. But anyway, little aside, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> it's Henry Selleck. I'm now doing that because I became such a huge Coraline fan. So yeah, I, I wish you got a little more like shout outs and credit there because he really was like, <laughs> God, yeah, yeah. He, I was going to say, he's like um, Tywin Lannister. He was really running the <laughs> the kingdom, so to speak, like compared to, yep. you know, King yep. Robert Baratheon, right? Like, <laughs> like he got all the credit, but like, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Sorry, I keep jumping fandoms here. Major nerd. I love it. Yeah. But anyway. That's okay. Big oh my disclaimer. god, yeah. In case you didn't know, we're super nerdy. <laughs> yeah, no one will no one will know. How would they know? No one will know. Um, this movie is like so colorful. It's so like odd and you know, we've got we got the things we love from the book. You have the the house, the weird neighbors, you have the cat. Mm-hmm. And Coraline as Dakota Fanning, like she does such an interesting, like sassy version of Coraline yeah very sassy yep yeah um (laughs) apparently when they were in the early stages of this movie um actually Neil Gaiman he wrote a letter both to Henry Selleck and to Tim Burton and you know he wanted it to be made into a movie he knew that and he would only have it done by one of those two and he doesn't know what happened to the letter to Tim Burton, but Henry Selleck got back to him like a week later and said, so, yeah, I'm on board. I want to do this. Um, let's get it started. But from the point Henry Selleck accepted to the point the film was released was like seven whole years. And <laughs> like, this is just I the know. feat of stop motion, it's right? Wild. It took them two years to like find the mm-hmm. studio to make it like, uh, and the actual filming component mm-hmm. took about 18 months. <laughs> just thinking of 18 months yeah. of frame by frame um animation and just i know for an hour and a half movie yeah it's like, short it goes it's incredible. Quickly. it's incredible 
But it also had one of like the longest like continuous sequences of any stop motion movie. Like there was one sequence mm-hmm. that runs for 130 frames or nearly six seconds, and that has been like the record setter at least at the time. Um, I think it's something with the show when Miss Forcible is like uh, <laughs> being really weird, <laughs> like a mermaid performer woman. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean. They went to the nth degree and like they, this is a film for like people who love making films just because they love, like you can do something this way and we are going to take every painstaking frame. It's not a quick in out Mm kind of movie, you know, it's not a quick hit. Yeah. And it, you know, it did okay at the box office. Like they very, Mm -hmm. very little profit, but you have to know that the people making it were in it for the craft and for the art and this is just as much of a movie of art as it is as a story oh yeah absolutely it's very much a passion piece for sure i mean most stop motion is passion pieces because the amount of time (laughs) it takes to make them (laughs) is just bananas (laughs) yeah yeah for sure it's incredible like i I can't wrap my head around it (laughs) no no and like Apparently, this is one of the best collaborations that Neil, uh, that Henry Selleck had before. He said um, that working with Neil Gaiman was amazing because you know he really got the creative license to do what he wanted. Apparently, early drafts of like the script and everything, um, he met they met up Henry and uh, Neil, and Neil said, "I really like this. This is great. It's like doing everything for me, but it's also so similar to what I wrote. Mm-hmm. I'm going to step aside." And you go do your thing and create your own like vision for this story. So that's what happened. It became yeah. more infrequent visits from Neil Gaiman. Like uh, Henry was given the go ahead, go create that world. So one of the first things that Henry did, he switched the setting from the UK to the US because he's more comfortable like yeah. writing for a US audience and writing in American English. And that instantly, it's a completely mm-hmm. different feel. So we go from somewhere mm-hmm. in suburbia, UK, to like Oregon with a girl from mm-hmm. Minnesota, the water witch or whatever this other yeah. Ivy character calls her. And um, apparently mm-hmm. Henry really coached um, Dakota Fanning to have that Midwestern accent. So she's like, I'm not saddled with anything. <laughs> it's just, it really lended itself yeah. to like his direction. Like he could really ask for the most mm-hmm. from his from his actors and from his vision, like from his uh, co-creators, his whole team, his animators. He could really push them because he really had that freedom. Yeah, there's a lot of beautiful attention to detail in this film. Yeah. And they, I mean, it, it, it goes from actual like set production and costuming design and like the actual like model building for the characters, like some of the sweaters and clothes that you see on set were actually hand knitted and like really, really amazing detail. And then, you know, they they throw a lot of kind of Minnesota memorabilia where the, the actual dad is wearing his kind of alma mater sweater and they've got all these globes that are kind of on their travels and they have the accents kind of pulled in and, and they have a lot of references where um, I think Coraline's she sees the photo of her friends in the other world and the, the fo- her friends come alive in the photo and she calls them her trolls. And that's <laughs> actually like a slang in Minnesota for a certain area. Like oh. there's some really amazing 
attention to detail there. True. It's just it's so intricate and so beautifully put together. It was such an interesting move to make this this movie stop motion because, you know, it's all about the detail. Whereas the book is like very mysterious and like it's very little detail. Things just are and you just accept it. But we don't know really anything mm-hmm. about Coraline, her background, her parents, if she missed her friends back at home or about the move. Like you really go like right in it's such a yeah. tight, like succinct tiny version. But the the movie just like it has to create so much and it did it so well. And Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really fleshed out these characters and gave them like a background and a story and everything. Yeah, there's some really amazing because it's like, you know, we were talking about how Neil Gaiman has amazing character development in his works. And then you look and see what, you know, kind of was produced in the the film adaptation by Henry Selick. And he took that imagery from Neil Gaiman and just went wild with it, but in a really good way. He he built out such like an even more intricate universe than what Neil Gaiman had originally built, but mm-hmm. he didn't go so off the rails that you're like, this is nothing like the original. Like it still had all of the kind of highlights and gems that Neil Gaiman had written in. And then he added his own little flavor to it. And it just, it made the world such a like rich and eclectic world. And I love how he portrayed it. Um, yeah. It's, it's just really, really beautiful work. Henry it's, was it's saying, amazing. yeah, how he made the choice like early on to just sort of reveal the oddities of the other family more slowly. It is more mm-hmm. tantalizing. Like in the movie, you would understand why Coraline yeah. might be tempted to sew buttons into her eyes because we have a chandelier that's actually a smoothie machine and like a garden that like lights up and looks exactly like Coraline's face and like you know the other father is playing the piano and he has a Coraline song and it's just you know the, the cutest song ever and like it just everything's so enriched and then you have the score which is like the most beautiful amazing luscious yes score I've always loved it. It's so good. I I want to talk about that for a second, actually. So yeah. two things about the music. Uh, the dad, his song, is actually sung by They Might Be Giants, which I am obsessed with. What? I love them. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if you know them, no, but they're great. I, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I stopped yeah. where I did. Yep. They actually <laughs> apparently wrote, they wrote 10 songs for the movie, but then ended up having to condense it down and only had two in there so there's oh. the one that the dad sings and then there's one in the cre- the ending credits so that's like i love they might be giants okay yeah it's so good and then the composer is bruno coulet oh, no coulet it's like a french name bruno coulet <laughs> something like that yeah so he oh his his music is so creative and in the very beginning of the movie they have the kind of like it's all vocal kind of choir feel and some really beautiful orchestral stuff underneath it but um it's in a, a what sounds like a foreign language it's not in english but i did a lot of digging i was like what is this like mm-hmm. it doesn't have captions or anything so i'm like what is this what am i listening to it's gibberish it isn't any language <gasps> it's just it just sounds like a language oh it's genius i thought it was like, like, like a hungarian it, i know it is something oh man no nope, i love that it's, it's nothing and it's it's amazing. Yep, it's just gibberish. And I'm like, but it sounds so cool. So yeah, yeah. if you uh, try to look up the lyrics, you will not find it because it is nothing. It's just literally musical 
nonsense and it's so good oh, that's so amazing <laughs> that's actually making me think about the book a little bit I know. when the world starts to fray and like kind of fall apart and everything um she's like kind of exploring around the house looking for the souls of the lost children and she passes by spink enforceables and their little theater it's mm-hmm. like on the basement level and they, they did have like big signs like billboards yeah. that are like movie theater kind of or like uh live theater show announcements but the 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 words on there start turning turning into gibberish actually in the book and they don't even yeah that's right it starts to deteriorate yeah but i had no idea yeah mind blown like the the more you start digging into this isn't that crazy like the more amazing it gets yeah the effort there and i will yeah it's so intricate i will turn on that playlist i will turn on that that score sometimes (sighs) if i need something like quiet or meditative or just like a little bit empowering. There's like the one called Exploring. That's one of the tracks. I love that. And Yavi. Do yourself a favor this fall or spooky season or whenever you're listening to this and just like go through the score. <laughs> you don't even need the movie. <laughs> like the score. No, it's own so good. And everything has like all the characters kind of they get their own like melody. It's so amazing. And like the songs are all named after some of the like like quotes in the film, like dreams are dangerous or stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's so cool. Just jump into that mm-hmm. score. Yep. Eat it up. Oh, it's <laughs> Yeah. God, yes. Eat it with a spoon and have some chocolate with it. Oh my God. It's so good. You go other mother all over souls kind of eating here. Devour it. <laughs> god i'm so dark i love it yep yep oh i love it it's spooky season folks don't you worry that's what we're here for is to make your life spooky uh yeah it's oh my god and then you know i i did you know we already kind of talked about the kind of eclectic neighbors in the first section but um i think ian mcshane as mr bobinski is God, I love him. He is so weird, and I love Ian McShane yes. <laughs> like so much. He has this weird Russian accent. I know. Oh my god, he's such a talent! It's hilarious. I yeah. He's like have beats and make you strong. He's kind of a weird oddball gem. I love it. Yeah, um, <laughs> beats. It's make you strong. It's so good. It's so memorable. <laughs> I would say this movie. I've watched it so many times now. It's so quotable. Everything everyone says, I just mm-hmm. like have committed it to memory <laughs> a little bit and like, yeah. every line of his is completely golden in the book Bobinski is well Mr. Bobo and Coraline doesn't even know his name till the very end of the book Spink and Forcible tell her and then she says he has a name I didn't even know he had a name or if I knew his name was Mr. Bobo I would say it all the time because when do you get to say a name like Mr. Bobo <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of little cute surprises yeah. in the book um that you should check out. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that just amazing. And speaking of the neighbors, I was trying not to bring him up so much before, but now we're into the movie yeah. adaption. So uh, they add a character called YB, YB Lobat. Yeah. Yeah. What did What do you think of his addition in the movie? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. So I actually looked into like what their rationale for adding YB in there was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like they added YB because a lot of the kind of progression of Coraline in the book is all in her head. And so that's not really dynamic for a viewership purpose. So they decided to give her a friend 
to then bounce ideas off of. Mm. And so then where YB comes in is he's kind of like the counterpart to talk to. And then on the flip side in the other world, the cat is the counterpart to talk to since YB can't talk in the other world, but the cat can. Mm, yeah. So I thought that was interesting addition. It, it also helped with the drive of, you know, he... He lives with his grandmother who owns the property that Coraline's family lives on and then also the neighbors all rent from his grandmother. And his grandmother actually has – her sister was was lost years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And they tie that in where she actually is one of the ghosts that Coraline helps save at the end. So – and she she's uh, – the grandmother's really concerned about YB not going anywhere near that house because that was the last place her sister was seen. Yeah. So it's it just it's interesting how they kind of built out kind of more lore around that house right. by adding in an entire family unit, essentially. Yeah, um, it's clever. It it's is very clever. Yeah, it completely is. And I think for a movie audience, you really have to explain why things are happening, like what's going on. You need more context. And mm-hmm. so the, the Lovats make that possible. Um, and there is one mention, mm-hmm. not of a Mrs. Lovat, but of a Mr. Lovat. Um, at the end of the book where they're like oh you know Mr. Lovat said that there's a very deep well Uh, so be careful of that Uh, that's what's been enforceable to Miss Coraline when she goes to mislead and get rid of the other mother's hand but yeah it was just mentioned in passing Um, but Mm -hmm. you know he took that and made a whole family and a whole story and a whole backstory around it and I thought it was it was effective maybe Mm -hmm. you can't expect the whole weight of the movie like put that on the cat entirely because then it's not coming and going as easily like a cat would so why be a way to yeah definitely have Coraline discuss what's happening or you know her being out of place or people being annoying like like actually you don't have a lot of Coraline so frustrated in the book like she's not so angry and so frustrated but in the movie she's just like why is no one listening to me she's very angsty yeah She's just like, yeah. she's spunky. And <laughs> I love it. Yeah, her attitude is way more sassy in the in the movie. I, I do remember, like, the first time I saw the movie, I was kind of like, I love Dakota Fanning, but I was kind of like, God, I, just like the angst was kind of getting to me mm-hmm. at times. But it's kind of, it's grown on me. It's, it's more endearing now, where it's just part of the kind of sassy pants that is yeah. Coraline's character. Yeah. And also, like, some of her frustration is valid. Like, the parents in, in the film are depicted so much more, like, practically negligent. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're so disconnected from her. Like, to the point of it being kind of ridiculous, um, they're both on their computers and are are hitting a, a deadline with their editors. And so they're just like, mm-hmm, whatever you say, go play anywhere but here. Mm-hmm. I can't talk to you right now. And they're very dismissive. Um, so I can see that definitely be a frustrating kind of thing, especially when you're, you know, 11 or 12 years old and you yeah. just want the attention of your parents and they're busy. So I can see that being frustrating. And she had to get moved away from her friends and she's in a yeah. weird old house and she doesn't get to do any of the things that she wants to do. Yeah, completely. It, yeah, I mean, I can see where that would all be a very frustrating situation. Yeah. Um, they really sassified her. <laughs> they did. Yeah, for a big movie like that, like you need like a very, you need a big personality at the center just to sort of be the main character, be the hero mm-hmm. or something, you know. I read one book review. Um, it's like 
about Coraline, the character. She's clever, quirky, curious, and adventurous, brave and determined, independent, stubborn to no end, and a bit reckless and not scared mm-hmm. of danger. She will never, never leave any mysterious doors locked and uninvestigated. And I liked that description of her a lot. It really <laughs> is book, sorry, it's very much movie Coraline to me. It's Dakota Fanning's character. Yeah. Um, but you have to root for a girl, a plucky girl like that. (laughs) Like, um, it's amazing. And your other point about the parents, like ignoring her, like, I think that'd be a really good read for little kids right now. Cause probably so many have parents working from home over COVID. Sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, The dog I'm watching right now is running around just like wanting to go outside. (laughs) 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 Wise creature dog. That's all good. Yeah. <laughs> Get your sidekick. Love it. the main character of this podcast. <laughs> um, anyway, we love our animals. Love it. Yep. That's why we're all here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I wonder, because like, you know, so many parents are working from home right now. This is probably a lot of kids could relate to this feeling a little dejected, a little bit ignored. Like, I remember growing up mm-hmm. and telling my mom how much I love this movie, but she's like, those parents are terrible. They're ignoring her. But like, they are terrible. They're not the worst kind of terrible, you know? <laughs> like, they're, you know, it's kind of, like, colorless. Just absent. They're just sort of, like, yeah, absent. It's just a little bit lonely. It's a little bit, yeah, re- removed. And Coraline feels a little isolated and ignored. But probably so many kids go through mm-hmm. that. And every kid wants to be seen. And uh, most most kids probably mm-hmm. want to be seen and heard and mm-hmm. told that their thoughts and their ideas matter. <laughs> so... They played things yeah. up majorly yeah. in a movie, but you kind of have to, I mean, or at least it doesn't, it doesn't detract from the movie. I think, you know, adding these personalities adds to the movie. Yeah. I think that especially when you kind of put that up against what the other world is like, you can definitely see it's a very intoxicating, very inviting thing to want to be like, oh yeah, I want this world a lot more than I want my current world because my mom is attentive. They're making these like luxurious amounts of food where like in the real world, the dad makes like slop and it's terrifying. And I'm like, I would never eat that. (laughs) And so like you see this kind of juxtaposition of like this beautiful like table set and she can have breakfast for dinner and they've got all these crazy desserts and she ate an entire chicken for dinner like all these things that are very extravagant so and then you were talking about the garden too where it's like in the shape of her face and it's all the flowers fun little trivia fact it's all the flowers in the garden are the seeds that she shows in the window of one of the previous scenes where she's asking her mom if they can go out and plant the flowers before her friends get there. They used all those flowers on the packets. And I'm like, come on! Like, the detail! Oh, my gosh. It's It's just, like, hyper-packed. It's just loaded with it. It's just so So much goes into these movies. Good. Man. Oh, my God. I know. The amount of, like, trivia facts that I found that I was like, are you kidding me? I've seen this movie how many times and I never noticed that? Yeah. So now it's like every time I go back, I see something new. It's so – That's so true. Oh, man, it's so good. There's the version oh. of watching the movie where you're just watching the movie go by and see the plot and everything happens. But then there's the version of watching this movie where you're like, someone had to incrementally move this thing, like, a thousand times. Like, there's scenes with fog. This. And it's swirling mm-hmm. everywhere. I'm like, how how on mm-hmm. earth do you keep track of that? <laughs> like, how did you do that with fog? <laughs> it's like such a like it's amazing thing, and nothing. Yeah. Other than it being stop motion, nothing looks unnatural or 
I don't see errors. <laughs> like, and like the water coming out of the mm-hmm. shower and there's nasty bugs. Like there's a couple. And every time I watch the movie, I swear I notice something differently. And you really can get into that mm-hmm. rabbit hole <laughs> of discovery yeah. with this movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I honestly could have talked this entire episode just about the film because there's so much to digest in it and so much work and passion went into this. And I feel like that's true for pretty much any stop motion film because nobody in their right mind who doesn't enjoy that kind of work would do something like that. No, It is so meticulous and so painstaking that you have to love that work. Otherwise, why would you be doing it? Like, yeah. does it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, These are people who yeah, love process. Amazing, they're amazing not, work. They're they're in it for the outcome, but they're really, they yeah. must love that process <laughs> because that would make you do feel insane yeah. doing the same thing <laughs> a thousand times, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. good. Yeah. And the amount of like doubles and things that they have to make duplicate, like bodies and faces and sets and I mean everything has to be miniaturized and they have duplicates of everything for different facial expressions body movements I mean you name it they've got like 60 plus things of everything yeah and that's you know if they're main characters it's probably quadruple that right so I did look up this bit of trivia for us Ooh, yes yeah they're okay yeah so uh, speaking of face combinations face parts <laughs> there were a total mm-hmm. of two hundred seven thousand three hundred and thirty six possible face combinations for oh my God. all of the characters um <laughs> I, that's just insane wow like combinations right but i think uh, specifically like quarterline the mouth there was like six thousand or something i mean i might be over quoting but even if you think of like 12 different oh places, God. 50, 100, it feels like a lot, but no, thousands. <laughs> 18 months of filming. I'm just like, thousands, how did you even get thousands. it all done? Yeah. Like, I think stop motion it maybe isn't for everyone aesthetically or visually, but you have to appreciate it and, and respect it. It's like true movie magic that we're looking at. It is. Yeah, and I actually have more trivia for you. So there were 24 different puppets of Coraline in the movie. (gasps) Whoa. And each of them took 10 individuals three to four months to make. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, and you were speaking earlier about those sweaters. I know. It's an insane amount of work. The blue one with the white stars. Yeah, they knit them. They knit them. Oh, my God. I I want one of those sweaters, by the way. But it took like I know. eight months, I know. <laughs> eight months to, to knit this tiny sweater. And like this person they have knit the all the uh, knitwear, like she's known as the woman in the world mm-hmm. who knits the smallest articles of clothing. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. I, I just cannot believe how beautiful everything is. And, you know, it's so, you, you notice that like it's not, like 3d digital animation right it's it is a different vibe a different feel you can see it but at the same time it's so fluid and you forget what actually goes into making a film like this like it is physically being moved a fraction of a hair every scene for every movement and like a person is doing that this is not being drawn and animated through a computer a person is physically manipulating something to do this Mm -hmm. and it's just it's so flawless for oh my god i 
have a very, very big spot in my heart for stop motion because it is a beautiful art form that I have so much respect for. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think I, I give maybe the story a lot of grace because maybe they don't do everything or some things when the book aren't in it, but like it, what they do is like next level. <laughs> I mean, it's pushing. Oh my God. I'm yeah. still pushing boundaries of the industry and for what's not mm-hmm. there, they added so much and it soars, right? It's, it, it became mm-hmm. the whole team's masterpiece. I mean, we're just gushing about it again, but yeah, it's hard to pick on a movie <laughs> that, took that to make it and you know is what it is (laughs) yeah no I totally agree and you know I feel like uh I'm sure our listeners like get on with it so we'll we'll move on to the uh comparative section um because it's really hard to separate them um there's so many things that really run in tandem but I feel like um, we already kind of touched on a big difference is they created an entire family unit and character, which was YB. So that we've already kind of touched on, you know, there's there's quite a few differentiations of like the location of where it's set and building out the universe in America versus the UK. There's very different vibes there. But was there anything else that you kind of thought was an interesting choice of how it was different or really how they really nailed the imagery from both sides? Mm. I think it just really flushed things out a lot. It just gave us a way to see people. So that was, you know, the different Lobinsky and Spring, Spink and Forcible and the cat. It just really gave them color and gave them life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of vibrancy, like the book is so muted and scratchy kind of sketches, drawings and creepy in that kind of way. And then this one's like, you really feel like you're in a different realm, a different universe of like, bombastic color and they they really turn up the scare factor later on they do some really disturbing things with the other mother like she becomes all (laughs) like beetle-like with a weird pointy face and like yeah oh god they just really (laughs) they make something that was so lovely and beautiful to look at the other mother was so like perfect and oh my gosh terry hatcher she just does the best voice for her like it's like always in my head it's just just luscious just completely like I don't know so attractive right or just so loving but evil mm-hmm. so so good yeah she actually worked with um she actually worked in the Kubo two strings as well oh, she, did? she was wow. the, the ants the yeah she was the voice of the two ants in Kubo so she's worked with them in a couple different projects nice. it, it, she's it's just great she's Oh man, and I did actually really want to quickly. We I just realized we never really talked about the other mother in either section, so let's talk about the other mother for a hot second. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, in the film, God, I love how they depicted her. It is so creepy and so beautifully put together. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on what you thought of sure of either really of the book or the film. I I just. <sighs> She's just, you know, everyone wants to be nurtured. Everyone wants to be loved and fed and cared for in that way. And it's the unconditional love. But there's something a bit wrong about the other mothers. And like mm-hmm. even the cat says, like, you know, I, I think maybe she does love you. Or Coraline thinks, I think maybe she does love me. But more like she'd like something to eat or to, to devour you. Like it's... Yeah. So, yes, the other mother, I would say you have this you know, she's giving that unconditional overpowering love, but it's like a smothering love. You know, there's something dangerous mm-hmm. and dark about it and very wrong. 
And she does, mm-hmm. some of her lines remind me a bit of like Snape from Harry Potter. Cause you know, you instantly know Alan Rickman and you're like, obviously <laughs> like the way he says things is so <laughs> like memorable. And then same with her. She's like, soon you'll see things our way. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's, yeah, it's so creepy. And we'll never not hear it <laughs> and not that way. Mm-hmm. And just, she just, it's just so spooky. Um, there's other there's other lines that crawl under my skin like that. I can't think of it right now. But <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, she de- she delivers, and that yeah. voice talent is so so good. And the whole I'm going to stitch YB's face in a permanent smile, like that's scary. Oh my god, yeah. Or oh, that's so creepy. Oh, and then the other father's like always giving Coraline a little hint, one that she shouldn't get and you know you know the other mother Mm -hmm. saw something she didn't like (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so nefarious and yeah the the unraveling of the world in the film i thought was a lot more vivid than in the in the book yeah um i mean it does help to have kind of that visual agent to really see what's happening as the world's starting to kind of collapse when Coraline starts to save the souls and starts to kind of realize that this world is definitely kind of a broken and kind of dangerous place for her to be Mm -hmm. but I think that in the beginning when you know that the visualization that they brought to the other world in the beginning it's so it's like kaleidoscopic it's so vibrant Mm -hmm. and it's beautiful and then as it progresses on the other mother starts to look less and less like loving and enticing and looks much more like bug insect like she gets like she gets angry and her neck gets really long and skinny and her head turns into this crazy like dewdrop shape mm-hmm. and she gets spindly and she t- ends up having like metal fingers and multiple legs and she looks more like an insect the further in you get. I mean, it's genius design. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, And I, I don't – it's hard for me to kind of separate whether I got that imagery from the book or not because I saw the film first. So that definitely persuaded my envisioning of the character as I was reading the book but man it's it's beautiful yeah it's interesting like in the other mother's like drawing room there's some things like with the wallpaper that's kind of like cockroach outlines shaped like it's a Mm -hmm. fun one to rewatch because I didn't see that before that that like that shape was Mm -hmm. on the wallpaper like whoa and just yeah she's so she's so buggy like that and then oh here's another one of those lines that I'm remembering she's like these are cocoa beetles from Zanzibar. <laughs> like she's like such got such bravado with her lines and then such just fierceness and cruelness. Like she's given me everything. <laughs> like Yeah. yeah she's yeah, gonna tear me amazing. apart. They did yeah. such a good job. And her dress and when she, you know, the second time you go into the other world, she's got like the black polka dotted dress and then she's got this cute little like bustle thing in the back mm-hmm. that looks like a like a uh like an abdomen or what's it called uh not an abdomen but like a uh it's like a section of a of an insect yeah like their little yeah i'm like what is the word i'm thinking little i don't know yeah you know what i mean i'm totally spacing on that little sec (laughs) they're the caboose (laughs) scientific term yes that (laughs) but yeah yes the bug caboose (laughs) yeah Yeah, like Oh my god. Anyway, but yeah, like the the dress even looks like that. Yeah, like defragmenting yeah. and be- everything becomes more sharp and more angular and she mm-hmm. really starts 
not looking so hot after, you know, when <laughs> she throws Coraline into the mm-hmm. other children's like locked up closet, the like the ghost children. Dungeon. We haven't even <laughs> talked about yeah. them and they're very eerie and very yeah. sad. But yeah, they're the other mother at her worst. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that Coraline knew she's evil and then you meet those kids <laughs> and then you, like, she's the yep. worst You're thing. Like, yep, checks out. Yeah. Like she's the she's a baddie. She's a real baddie. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was interesting in the um in the book with the little when she meets the children for the first time in the like dungeon closet, whatever you want to call it. It was interesting that Neil Gaiman had described the children not by their gender, but described them by their clothes, but it was older style of clothing, so it was kind of ambiguous to today's standards of whether mm. it was more feminine or masculine. Yeah. And then Coraline actually asks, like, or doesn't it, like, one of the ghosts says, oh, I think I was a boy in my life. Like, they'd forgotten their names, they'd forgotten their gender. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way to depict ghosts. I've never really seen it quite portrayed that way before yeah Um, they don't really touch on that at all in the film or the genderless they they, they touch on the forgetfulness but yeah the genderless thing your life and your identity is not exactly the the the, you know the the sex assigned at birth is not necessarily relevant Mm -hmm. to the core of your soul or what will Mm -hmm. remain when your soul is taken out we're at the same Mm -hmm. in the middle (laughs) like we just you know what love we want (laughs) you know to live and these Kids being deprived of that is just wretched and terrible. There's a scene mm-hmm. too in the book when the, the the same one you were talking about, and the kids like, I don't remember my name, I don't remember the name of my governess, and there were tulips, but I don't remember the tulips' names. And Coraline's like, Oh, mm-hmm. tulips don't have names, and he's like, I thought they did. And <laughs> like that's an oh, Mill Gaiman. I just I love that he throws in those little goodies, like you know, flowers having names, mm-hmm. like. How, how charming or just like oh it's just that childlike loss and wonderment is just like oh right in the feels poor kiddos yeah, it is yeah I know it's I okay so I will say that my one thing my one great mm-hmm. with the film mm-hmm. is the ending oh I want to hear about this yeah so because they created YB's character in the mm-hmm. film and then like Coraline has to go to the well to get rid of the key to basically lock the other mother in her yeah. world because there's only one key that opens that door. But then other mother's hand gets out and is trying to drag Coraline back to the door. And then YB ends up coming and helps her kind of like, he doesn't really like save the day, but he comes in mm-hmm. and like kind of like helps assist. And then they both throw the hand in the well with the key. Yeah. But I, that bothered me a little bit because I think what I loved so much about Coraline in the book mm-hmm. was that she does it all on her own. She doesn't have any parents helping her. Yeah. She doesn't have any other kids helping her. The cat is kind of a kind of guiding light, but he doesn't really assist. He just he kind of helps nudge mm-hmm. in the right direction and she does all the legwork. And I love that true she cat does not give any answers or direction yeah Yeah. it's very cryptic and i'm glad you touched on that yeah because actually i was reading too about neil gaiman his thoughts and impressions of the movie after it came out and apparently he loved like a ton of the additions the new things he really liked the new vision but his he had one problem 
And it was also with the ending because he said that he did not like mm-hmm. that it appeared as if uh, YB was saving Coraline because Coraline yep. has to save herself. Yep. It's a big part of the book. And I, I'm sure maybe hopefully we get into themes because bravery is a big thing. Um, courage. Is oh, a big yeah. Theme of it. And I, I agree with you, Aaron. Like, I, I know that then <laughs> like, he saves her, but then she saves him too because he like gets flung into the well. And yes. like, so she pulls him out as well. But yeah. And there, and I think that's that dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. That dynamic is definitely like, it's not, oh, the boy's coming in and saving the day. She's, she is still the heroine of the story. But I think that it kind of diluted that message a lot for me. Yeah, fair. Um, and since I'd seen the film first, I was like, okay, that's the ending. And then reading the book, I was like, oh, the ending of the book was so much better mm-hmm. um, because I just appreciated that depiction in, you know, it's a it's a children's book. They don't need a, you know, a white knight on a fiery steed or, you know, like they don't need any of that kind of stuff to, mm-hmm. to help drive home the ending. Um, so I... That's like my one gripe. Yeah, the movies <laughs> too. They have to like dramatize and make it look almost like she's got mm-hmm. no chance and she's gonna be beat out in the end. And you know, last minute save. Like this is very like mm-hmm. cinematic, like this type of thing that happened. So it's hard to yes. think without it what they would have done alternatively. But yeah, yeah. I agree. It's <laughs> I, I. It would be nice to see Coraline do it herself, like truly, and then celebrate with YB at the party. <laughs> you know the garden party at the yeah, end. Yeah, and yeah, and she's done everything else. Right. She's done everything else by herself at at up to that point. So it just kind of was a little like, oh, really? Yeah. Like, Maybe they're just trying okay, to have them guess, reconcile I mean, too, mm-hmm. like giving that kind of avenue because he like basically yeah. called her crazy and <laughs> uh, ran into That's the house true. and. Yeah, if you're gonna introduce a friend character, they have to seem like a friend. So it was competing. That's all. Maybe. It's just mm-hmm. competing with the rest of what the end needed to be. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, and that's not to say that I didn't like YB's character. I thought he was a really fun and cute addition. Like, he's like this cute little weirdo who likes to go hunting for banana slugs and take weird photos with them. Like, I love YB. Yeah. Like, he's like this weird little kid yeah. somewhere in Oregon. He's like- so believable. <laughs> he's like, like that. there would be yeah. a quirky kid like this for sure. He also... One of the best tracks on the soundtrack is called YB, and that also adds to my love of that character. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I have also one. Also a Bi- BIPOC representation. Yes. Which is also yes. really great. I, I like, wanted to mention that too. They're the, they're the only people of color in the film, but he is, you know, he is a side character, but he's still one of the kind of more focal points and one of the kind of guiding lights in the story, which I'm like, yes, it's not all just white yeah. people. Which I really appreciated. Yeah, that was an addition that really mattered. If you're gonna add characters, like yeah, representation should be completely considered. And I was I was really glad to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Mrs. Lovat, her sister who went missing too. We just like that was much better. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I was happy. Yep. Yeah, and this is 2009, so this is before you know mm-hmm. we this has come up to surface a lot more. You know, this BIPOC representation right. not, not as big of a yeah yeah not as big of a conversation i mean it was happening let's not get that yeah <laughs> confused this, yeah this movie uh, was not perfect but yeah same platform as this year yeah go yb yeah. <laughs> go miss lovat it's awesome yeah <laughs> cool um so there is like one part i wish i could have seen on screen like a flashback mm. if you remember um 
and this kind of ties into like themes of the book, which I think is important. Um, but they miss this part in the movie, and basically, she's remembering a time when her herself and her father they were exploring their older house, like before they moved to the the new place, and it's sort of like a garbage mm-hmm. yard, kind of like a junkyard, and but. Coraline always wants to explore, so her father humored her, and they're walking around, and they run into a wasp's nest, and... um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, and basically her father says, run, run, like, get out of here, and basically he's just taking taking the sword, taking the fall, and he's going to get stung by this whole nest of wasps while Coraline has a chance to get away. In that Mm. process, his glasses fell off, so he's going to have to go back to retrieve them, and... um, it just it's a nice moment of seeing okay like the, her parents they do love her and they do you know want to protect her do their best of it so it's like it just kind of painted a little more color for <laughs> her normal parents and mm-hmm. you know i wish that movie could have gone on longer and we can see some of these like flashback type of scenes like because it was so important mm-hmm. to the theme i'm trying to i want to look for the the quote of that scene give me a moment Sorry, I know we're oh, going yeah. like on no, and you're on. Fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's just so much there to unpack, though. It's there's so much on both sides. Yeah, like, truly, we could easily talk about. It's this hard for, like, to five enca- hours. encapsulate all this. <laughs> Hang on, because when she's it's, she's talking about when someone's really brave. <laughs> okay, I found it. Sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so here's Coraline speaking about that memory. And when she's saying it is when she goes mm-hmm. back into the other world. Her parents are missing. She knows she can't continue without rescuing her rescuing her parents. And she's basically going to the gallows, <laughs> so to speak. She's gonna face yeah. up the big the big demon, the big problem, and take things into her own hands and mm-hmm. reverse the story and start <laughs> making sure the other mother doesn't have her way. And the cat's kinda like padding along with yeah. her in this hallway. And she's explaining this whole anecdote, this whole memory to the cat. She says, he said that wasn't brave of him doing that, just standing there and being stung, said Coraline to the cat. It wasn't brave because he wasn't scared. It was the only thing he could do. But going back again to get his glasses when he knew the wasps were there, that's when he was really scared. That was brave. And the cat says, why was that? And she says, because... When you're scared, but you still do it anyway, that's brave. And like, oh, oh. Neil Gaiman. This is like a, a beautiful part. Like, sometimes I just wish that, like, of course the movie did it beautifully, but I think Coraline is a, a, mm-hmm. a text, a source that can be done many ways. So I would love to even one day be seeing like a, a mini series or some other interpretation to screen, mm-hmm. maybe a live action the next time where we see some of these, like, delicious detail like <laughs> in a flashback like I, yeah. I think that book is really could be interpreted in many ways of course the the live action <laughs> of course you know it would be so different than the stop motion but stop motion did something oh my god it'd be so different you know, incredible and I don't think everything needs to be done again mm-hmm. and again but there, like I was a little remiss that wasn't in there <laughs> yeah and there's yeah one other so that's scene. a really good point yeah there's one other scene, too, when she's trying to get the last uh, lost soul, and she's up in Mr. Bobo or mm-hmm. Bobinski's apartment. And this mm-hmm. is the next theme I'm talking about here is just, you know, getting what you want or careful what you wish for. 
Or like, is, mm-hmm. is that what you really want? Like questioning desires and fulfillment and the whole idea of perfection. Mm-hmm. Do we want that or not? Uh, Coraline says to Mr. Bobo Bobinski, you really don't understand, do you? She said, I don't want whatever I want. Nobody does. Not really. What kind of fun would it be if I just got everything I ever wanted? Just like that. And it didn't mean anything. Ugh. What then? Like, oh. Ugh. It's so good and so true. So true. <laughs> yeah. And they, they do all right. Like, you kind of oh. have Bobinski sort of, like, kind of selling her this picture she's not so interested in. But, yeah. You just, it gets spelled out and articulated so poign- poignantly in the book that that's a hard word to say. Poignantly. Um Yeah. <laughs> yeah it just there's so much to it i know and i think that is quintessential neil gaiman he does such a good job with making what seems to be ordinary characters and making them do something really great and epic and it doesn't have to actually be something you know of an epic it doesn't have to be this crazy adventure Mm -hmm. where you go off and slay the dragon save the princess kind of deal you know it doesn't have to be that fantastical it can be as simple as you wished you could have more and then realized you don't always want to have something that you don't necessarily mm-hmm. need. Like what you have is actually more important than what you wish you had. Yeah. Um, and it, he, oh, it's just Lord almighty. I'm going to say this till I turn. Right. Neil Gaiman is a gem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These are, these are home runs as far as themes go and lessons and really valuable in a children's book. And, like, giving the kids, like, gratitude. But a lot of people have come to him, too, that had totally traumatic lives and childhoods. And this book, like, helped them through something, too. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's not ignoring bad yeah. shit happens. Like, there are real yeah. other mothers <laughs> in the world that are just terrible to children. And we wish for better. A lot of people do. It really it really uh, shows that for sure. So I think the movie does do well with a lot of these themes. It does it in its own way and it does it differently. Um, ultimately, they belong together, the book and the movie. They complement each other. Mm-hmm. The effectiveness of how some of the themes yeah. like get shown, I mean, it may just be time constraint, but like the effectiveness depends on the viewer maybe, you know, if the point mm-hmm. got across or not. But yeah, there's some really rich, wonderful yeah. themes and it's just why it's such a unforgettable book and movie combo it's one that i would find myself thinking about a lot it asks good questions and makes you think what would i do (laughs) i know what Coraline Mm -hmm. would do but what would i do yeah she's remarkable yeah an extraordinary child as spook says (laughs) an extraordinary (laughs) yep oh my god well i feel like you know is there any final final thoughts you have i feel like we've really i mean Man, we've just dissected the crap out of this, and I we could easily keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, I I am normally reading nonfiction, and like, it's so wonderful. We can go into so much depth about uh, <laughs> something based on a hundred and sixty page book that this know, all was right? created, eighteen yeah. months of filming, and so on. And just to me, I so prefer a source or book to movie adaptation. That's like there was something smaller to begin with and they created something original but that still belongs and it's still like is it honorable like you know it's a a noble (laughs) attempt a noble effort and it does a good job I prefer that to like The Hobbit which was like 
a very short book and then like three or was it three or four movies it's just it was like it was three uh, movies um that's on my list i tell you what i've had a lot of people ask me about that don't you worry viewers it's on the list i just have to find somebody who's willing to sit down with me about it this is one of those um episodes that's like i get it but you don't have to or Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh Lord. The Hobbit's not long either. I want more Coraline originality, creativity, book to movie combos out there in the world. That's what I want. (laughs) No, I totally am right there with you. It's man, it's just two beautiful works that have taken I, I guess they're not like drastically different ways of getting to the story, but enough of a difference that you know, putting them side by side, there are a fair amount of differences. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like we've said this over and over, they complement each other so well. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of seeing seeing one, reading the other, and then kind of bouncing back and forth between the two platforms. It really enriches both experiences for different reasons. And I, I love the kind of duality that they've kind of built off of each other because it's exquisite writing on Neil Gaiman's side and then beautiful work on Henry Selleck's side. And also they collaborated, which I've said this before on many episodes, when the authors collaborate, mm-hmm. it tends to be really beautiful work because you're taking their brain and putting it into d- visual form form um it usually i put this in heavy quotations because uh as i'm sure some of our listeners remember when we talked about 50 shades of gray <laughs> that was not the case <laughs> yeah oh, yeah I just, i'm just gonna keep ragging on that until the end of time well honest, all we all will be <laughs> um yeah just i I'm so immensely grateful for Neil Gaiman and Henry Selleck and the entire huge, amazing cast and crew of the film who put so much work into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, just epic, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Small and feisty, yeah. but just full of color. And I just, yeah, it's it's worth dreaming about, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like a, some people I've talked to who haven't seen it or read it, they're like, oh, well, that's kind of like a... A kidsy movie isn't it like it's mm. isn't it like claymation or something mm. and i was like man it's so beyond that we're not talking we're not talking wallace and gromit here guys no. like <laughs> it's i mean granted wallace and gromit is wonderful in its mm. own way but it's a whole nother level it's a whole yeah. other, you know and so it's it's really this work of art that you know it is a, it is a simpler story yeah. and it is intended for kind of a, a younger audience but that doesn't mean you can't appreciate how exquisitely like put together it is yes. and it's just like the more like we we keep saying this over and over the more you dig into it the more you realize how much effort and work and attention to detail that actually went into this piece it it boggles the mind honestly that it it, it comes off so flawless mm-hmm. but it's an insane amount of work <laughs> yeah if you know Coraline you know it's incredible. Just incredible and with the record show it's been said we're saying it here it's underrated I think like go go watch it it's not everyone's yeah, cup underrated of tea for sure just, just just watch it it's a gift it's truly a gift yeah <laughs> <laughs> and with that uh, we will we will call it good. Yeah, uh, that I think that is a beautiful way to end this. Uh, so we will say no more about it because now everyone needs to stop what they're doing after this episode ends, of course, and go experience it yes. if you haven't. Go already. read it. Go Otherwise, watch it. Re-experience it and enjoy it yet again. Uh, <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, Yvonne, thank you so much for joining me. I ha- It's been such a pleasure to have you on and just nerding out with me over many things besides just Coraline. Right. So thank yeah. You. Thanks so much for having me. It's wonderful to know you and we'll go into the depths <laughs> about Coraline. Like, <laughs> you're one of the good ones. Oh you're my good God, people. Yeah. Any day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Loyal well, forever. I learned from the best. You're also good people, so good on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, before we say our final adieus, uh, I'm gonna pick your brain. Like, what are you doing right now? Are you reading anything you want to highlight? Are you doing anything you want to highlight? Tell me what's in your life right now. Okay. So, as I mentioned, I think earlier, I'm I'm normally reading nonfiction. So at the moment, I read a lot of nonfiction yeah. and adventure and like memoirs types of things. Uh, currently, I'm listening to nice. an education of an idealist, which is by Samantha Power. She was like a Ooh. foreign policy and um, human rights advisor for President Obama. And she's got a very interesting life. Um, yeah. But two great books I'd recommend, um, which I would say are maybe the grown up in real life Coralines uh, <laughs> in the world. Um, <laughs> there's a wonderful story, a wonderful memoir called Tracks. And it's about, um, oh, yeah. yeah, this woman who traveled across the Australian desert, really across the whole <laughs> country um, on camels and limited resources and just, you know, her guts and her bravery and resilience got them there. Incredible true story. There's a wonderful movie nice. as well, um, starring Mia Wasikowska mm-hmm. and Adam Driver. And I don't know how that one went under the radar, but yeah. it's wonderful. Um, also, I love the uh, memoir called Maiden Voyage. It's by Tanya Abbey. Have yeah. you read that one? It's um, I have not, but I, I've heard of it. It's an incredible story. It was it's the it's the recollection. It's the reflection of um, the woman who uh, she was I think the, at the at the time of her sailing voyage obviously this is about sailing um she was the youngest person mm-hmm. to attempt to do like a across the world sail youngest woman to do it so you're mm-hmm. going to every continent you're experiencing like her highs and her lows and you know great loves and great losses that happened in her life and she's very intrepid like we're, we're really seeing the world and you're getting a lot of mm-hmm. um just gorgeous uh, depiction and memory of people and places. So that's normally the the aisle I'm in. Coraline's a nice exception, but I think I want to read some more fiction. You know, Neil Neil Gaiman said that yes. to write good fiction, you have to be honest, and I I would like to see that. I would like to read more. And I know he wrote um, one that won like the Newbery Prize, the the Graveyard Story. So. I think I'm going to jump into that. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And if you want something, another spooky book to read, uh, Spooky Season, a couple of years ago, I read Rebecca at this time. Ooh. It's so scary. <laughs> There's a couple adaptions, yes. too. Yes. They made a show about that, didn't they? Um, it's not a show. There's a... Yeah. Had, <laughs> yeah. Army Ooh, Hammer and the, Ooh, so the one in Cinderella. I forget her name. That, that was a really good curl up by the fire kind of book. Perfect yeah. for fall. Was it a movie? It's been a couple movies. It's been done a couple times. Um, yeah, so that's a great one yeah. too. This oh. is a great season for reading, everyone. <laughs> yeah, yes, there is. Oh, yeah. Those are the books and other adaptions yes. I can recommend. Yes, and- yes, yes. Get your cup of tea. <laughs> Have, yeah, yeah. And you, what are you reading? 
Ooh, ooh, you're you're the second person to ask me that. Ooh. Oh, what? Um, what am I reading right now? Gosh, you know, I have found that I am much more um I'm much more uh regimented on what I'm reading now that I actually have a podcast around reading books. <laughs> so a lot of the <laughs> books that I'm reading are around potential topics. Mm. <laughs> so I um I actually am in the middle of reading Treasure Island. Oh, wow. And um, which, oddly enough, I had never read before. I've seen every version of that you could possibly think of in the film adaptation, but I'd never read the book. So I have been loving diving into that because it is a very much older vibe Mm -hmm. since the book was written so long ago in comparison to when the films and such were made. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been really fun. I've been really enjoying that. Yeah. Um, classic. What else? Have I-, I know. A real classic, honestly. And I. Yeah, Rebecca was written in like 1937, too. Like more uh, before our oh, time. Really? Yeah, 1937. It's very like, uh, like oh, early wow. 1900s. Like it's, yeah, that kind of spooky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's great. I didn't realize it was that late. Yeah. yeah. That's great. I love that. Yeah. yeah, I think that that's what I'm reading right now. Um, I've got a whole, you know, never-ending laundry list of things coming down the pipeline eventually. But you know, I'm I'm very much a uh, a fiction kind of kind of reader. I tend to really enjoy fiction more than nonfiction, which is you know, mm-hmm. there's good and bad to that because I feel like I should educate myself more with nonfiction books. But you know, eh, it's fine. That's what <laughs> reading friends are for. <laughs> yeah give ourselves the, the there you go what's, what's really good what's really worth our attention and time and yes yeah i'm sure i wouldn't miss a book record in oh my life God. or something from you so yeah get those uh yeah. to be read shelves <laughs> i think the to be read category will always be huge if you're a big reader so there's no shame oh, in that none at yep, all it never ends yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for the recommendations and thank you again for joining me. It has been such a treat. Always lovely to chat. Yes. Thank you very much. And thanks to everyone listening to us. Of yeah, course. we're on and on about Coraline. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Thank you to our listeners. Thanks for sticking it out when we were just kind of geeking out over all things beautiful in Henry Selick and in Neil Gaiman world. We appreciate you. And uh, we will see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. And out. Woo!